Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You know, one of the things that is really intriguing to me is how approachable Jesus was, especially to little children. They weren't intimidated by Him. In fact, they were attracted to Him. I am personally of the belief that it was His gentleness, His kindness, His humility, His meekness. And isn't it true that we're attracted to that kind of person? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. Would you say that others describe you as approachable, friendly, or inviting? Or do people tend to think of you as intimidating, stern, or perhaps even a little bit on the rude side? In today's message, Pastor J.D. reflects on the attractiveness of kind, gentle, and approachable people. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, let's join Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 19 for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So we make our plans. We should always preface any plan with Lord willing. James talks about this as well. Don't say we're going to go into such and such a city and do business there and make a profit there. You should always say, Lord willing. Lord, this is my plan, but not my will be done, your will be done. I want what you want because, Lord, I know that what you want for me is the best possible outcome. So the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Verse 22. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. Again, that's a repetitive and recurring theme. I want to draw your attention to the beginning of this proverb. What is desired in a man is kindness. Think of it this way. What is attractive in a man is kindness. We desire to see and are attracted to someone who is kind. And boy, in this day and age in which we live, does not kindness stand out? It was a couple months ago, maybe longer than that now, I I almost broke from our expositional teaching, and I wanted to do a topical teaching just on the topic of kindness. Kindness is so attractive. Humility is so attractive. It's so desirable. That's what the proverb is saying. And certainly this was true of the Savior. You know one of the things that is really intriguing to me is how approachable Jesus was, especially to little children. They they weren't intimidated by Him. In fact, they were attracted to Him. I am personally of the belief that it was His gentleness, His kindness, His humility, His meekness. And isn't it true that we're attracted to that kind of person? The person who is humble and kind and gentle. We desire that. We're attracted to that. By the way, I'm convinced that that's why 
we always want the underdog to win. We're attracted to the underdog. There's, there's that dynamic. I always think of the, the original Rocky movie. I, I'm not talking about Rocky 28. I don't know how many Rocky movies they have right now, but the original Rocky movie. And here's Rocky Balboa. Nobody ever heard of him. And it's supposed to be sort of a, you know, gesture with Apollo Creed. And he, he's the heavyweight champion, the all-time great. And so it comes time for the fight, right? And here's, here's Rocky Balboa. I can't believe I get to be in the same ring with, you know, Apollo Creed, man. And so here's all the, the pomp and the circumstance. Apollo Creed comes out. Na, 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 na. Sorry about that. I, don't, I forgot the words to the song. But I mean, he's, he's coming out with, you know, the music's playing. And then here comes Rocky Balboa. You know, walks out all, all humble, all, you know, he, you know, he's going to get killed. And so, you know, the crowd starts off, Apollo, Apollo. And then about the fifth round, you know, it's Rocky, Rocky. Why? Because he's the underdog. We're attracted to that. That's what we desire. I see it this way, and I say it this way. We are attracted to humility, but we are repulsed with pride. Pride is repulsive and humility is attractive. And that's what this proverb is saying. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Listen, every time, and there's going to be more times, where we read about the fear of the Lord, I think it's incumbent upon me to explain what the fear of the Lord is and what the fear of the Lord is not, because there's a great misunderstanding when it comes to the fear of God. It's not this terrifying, trembling fear of God. No. The fear of the Lord, we're told in the Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. We're also told that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. In other words, when you have such a fear and reverence and awe of God, you don't want to do anything that would grieve the heart of God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. You fear doing anything that would grieve the heart of God. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Grieving the heart of God. God can be grieved. We can actually, we have the propensity, the potential to grieve and bring sorrow to the heart of God. And so too, conversely, do we have the potential to bring great delight, great joy, and, and please God instead of grieve God. But when you love someone, you know, you fear doing anything that's going to be hurtful to them. I think I was sharing about this on Sunday, that I love my wife so much that I don't want to do anything. I fear doing anything that would hurt her or harm her or grieve her. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's to hate the things that God hates. The fear of the Lord is to have a heart after God's own heart, as we're told of David. What does it mean to have a heart after God's own heart? It means to have a heart that seeks after the things of God. 
to have the heart of God, to desire the, the things of God. That's what having a heart after God's own heart is. It's a, I, I was thinking about uh, in the Old Testament, there was a time where we were told that there was no fear of God in their eyes. Now certainly it does carry with it the idea of having a, a fearful reverence, because yes, God is a loving God, but God is also a just God, and God will judge. And that is a healthy fear, by the way. There's an unhealthy fear, and there's a healthy fear. That is a healthy fear. To fear the majesty of God, the might of God, Almighty God, that is a healthy fear. Verse 24, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. What a picture here. I mean, you got a guy sitting there eating, and I don't know, somebody must have served it to him, because apparently he's so lazy he wouldn't have made it for himself, right? So he's sitting there, and he, he puts his hand, this is the custom in the Middle East, you eat with your hands, so he puts his hand in the bowl to bring the food to his mouth, and he's so lazy he won't even bring it from the bowl to his mouth. That's pretty lazy. Now you're looking at me going, what in the world, what kind of application can this possibly have to us tonight? I mean, I mean I've, listen, I, I want you to know, I'm walking in victory with this proverb, okay? I have never been so lazy that I was unwilling <laughs> to bring the food to my mouth. That's, that's not a problem for me. I'm walking in victory in this area. Praise the Lord. I want to suggest a, a possibility here concerning the application of this proverb. What if we view this through the lens of being spiritually lazy? Stay with me. A spiritually lazy person is so spiritually lazy that they will not take the bread of life and eat it. Too lazy, spiritually lazy. I think that kind of changes the complexion of it a little bit, doesn't it? Spiritual laziness, apathy, complacency, spiritually. Not just in the physical sense, certainly this has application in the physical sense, but I think even more so in the spiritual sense, just a spiritual laziness. Verse 25, strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. This is carrying with it the idea of a scoffer, a mocker, you strike them, you rebuke them, and they'll beware, but they won't necessarily change. Whereas in contrast, the one who has understanding, he will discern, he will be discerning. He will be correct, he's willing to be corrected. You know, Proverbs 12 verse 1, you'll forgive me, I, one of my favorite Proverbs, for real, in all of the book of Proverbs, it's the one who is re refusing to receive correction is stupid. No, that word stupid is in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. In other words, you, you are unwilling 
to be rebuked. You are unwilling to receive instruction. You are unwilling to be corrected. And you don't learn. You won't learn. You're unwilling to learn. That's what this is talking about. Verse 26, He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. I mean, I think this kind of speaks for itself. Any child that's going to dishonor their father and their mother, you know that's the only commandment, and Paul writing to the Ephesians repeats this, the only commandment with a promise is the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, so that the days upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee may be long blessed. The only commandment, and interesting, it's the fifth commandment. Five in scriptures, the number of grace. It's the only commandment that has grace. The other nine commandments, thou shalt not, <laughs> and in the day that thou hast dust, thou shalt surely die. Have a nice afternoon. I mean, that's what the other commandments are. But that fifth commandment, it's, it's kind of nice. I mean, it's actually got a promise. That's what Paul says to the Ephesians. It's, it's the only commandment with a promise. It's got grace. And, a, and so appropriate that it be the, the fifth commandment, five, the the number of grace. You know, like seven is the number of completion, eight the number of new beginnings, number five is the number of grace, and grace changes everything. I was this, uh, this came to my mind, that when God changed Abram and Sarai's name to Abraham and Sarah, He took the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and he put it in the fifth place in their name and completely changed their everything. Number five being the number of grace, the ha in the Hebrew alphabet, the number five. And it was not Abram, it was Abraham. It was not Sarai, it was Sarah. And he changed their name. Grace changes everything. Verse 27, Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. In other words, you, you stop listening to me, son, boy. <laughs> you stop listening to me, boy. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to stray from the words of knowledge. Verse 28, a disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. One who has no reputation and now they're bearing witness. They have no regard for justice. They, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. It's almost like the mouth of the wicked, they have an appetite for iniquity. They just have a taste. They've developed a taste for it. Verse 29, judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Again, it kind of speaks for itself. This is one of those chapters in Proverbs that you could put a caption on, and the caption would have to be something along the lines of the importance of family relationships. I mean, it just kind of is the common denominator from this chapter here in Proverbs. 
God's Word places a high priority on the family dynamic, and for a reason, and good reason. The family is a microcosm of our heavenly family. The family is a microcosm of heaven. We have our heavenly Father. We're children of God, sons and daughters of God. How about this? As the church of Jesus Christ, we are betrothed to our bridegroom, Jesus, and we're the bride of Christ. Now guys get kind of messed up on that. I don't, I'm the bride? Yeah. Deal with it. I mean, in heaven there's not going to be any difference between male and female. And this is interesting, there's no marriage in heaven, we're told. The only marriage in heaven is going to be our marriage to the Lamb, to Jesus Christ, who we are betrothed to as the bride of Christ. And by the way, oh, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, siblings in Christ, which can in some way explain why it is that we have sibling rivalry in the church, in the body of Christ. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where it gets interesting. As the bride of Christ, it's a type of the marriage. And this is why it is that God hates divorce. And actually, I think I just want to end with this. Uh, we'll pick it up in chapter 20, Lord willing, next week. But this is important. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why, the question of why, when it comes to certain passages in Scripture, example, we're told that God hates divorce. The question should be one of why. Why does God hate divorce? Please know that God does not hate the divorced. No, He hates divorce because of what divorce represents. See, it ruins the type. See, if marriage is a microcosm of our relationship, our covenant with Jesus Christ as our bridegroom, if, if that is a type and then there's a divorce, then that ruins the type. And one need look no further than to what Moses did in ruining the type. It cost him the promised land. So the children of Israel were there in the wilderness, and they're so thirsty, and they're complaining, and they want water. And God says to Moses, just strike the rock, and water will come out. So Moses strikes the rock, and sure enough, water comes out. And that was a type, because that rock is a type, a picture of Jesus Christ, from whom will come rivers of everlasting water from Him. But He had to be struck, crucified, killed. That was the type, the striking of the rock in order for everlasting life, the waters of everlasting life to come flowing out. So then it happens again. And the Israelites start complaining again. There they are in the wilderness, and they're so thirsty. And by the way, don't come down too hard on the Israelites. I, I have to confess that when they were delivered out of Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and they're like, were there not enough graves in Egypt? God had to lead us out here to kill us. 
And then God has Moses just take the rod and he parts the Red Sea and they walk on dry ground. And then you would think after that, wow, Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And they did praise the Lord. Miriam went out in front and they're just singing praises and thanking God. And they delivered, God delivered us from the Egyptians. And of course the Red Sea, when the Egyptians tried to follow them, it came and it drowned all of the Egyptians. And so there they are on the other side of the Red Sea. And you would think that that would just settle it. They would always trust God. I mean, my goodness, after he just did that, I mean, we, we could trust God no matter what. Look what he's done for us. But it's only days afterwards that they start complaining again. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? He had to bring us out here to kill us. And there's a, there's a humorous, I, I love this because I love the Word of God. It's so honest. Moses and God are like having an argument. So God's like, your people, and Moses is like, they're not mine. It's <laughs> your people. And Moses is fed up with the Israelites because all they do is murmur and complain. And Moses at this point in his <laughs> leadership says, I've had it with you. Here they are again, they're thirsty. And Moses says to them, how long do we, key word, have to put up with your complaining and your murmuring? And it's like God just pulls them aside and says, hey Mo, get over here. What's this we stuff? We? Oh, you're on the same level as me now? We? He was so angry with them. God was not angry with them. So he, Moses is angry with them, and he's so angry. And God says, I want you to go not strike the rock, speak to the rock, and water will come out. And what does Moses do? He is so angry, he goes and he strikes the rock again when he was only to speak to it. And he ruined the type, and it cost him entrance into the promised land. Why? Because that rock, Christ, was only to be struck one time. After Christ was crucified, now we can speak to Christ, and the life-giving water will come out and flow. He ruined the type. God takes very seriously the type, and that's why God hates divorce, because of what divorce does to the divorced. And it is a microcosm of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The words of wisdom the book of Proverbs provides weren't meant to only be applied to life in the author's time. They were also meant to benefit generations to come, including you. All ages and walks of life can benefit from this book in this modern world. Proverbs gives you practical advice for living a life that's pleasing to your Creator. It also shares insight for ways to interact with others to not only show love, but to model Jesus. Pastor J.D. will have more to share from Proverbs when you join us next time on In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from Pastor J.D. at our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and even download our mobile app. 
This is a great way to keep Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you wherever you go and even share them with others. You'll find a link to download at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. We also invite you to check out Pastor J.D.'s weekend update, the Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. You'll find these updates on our mobile app or on our website. One more time, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you've been encouraged by this teaching in Proverbs and that you'll continue to study them on your own. Tune in next time for more right here on In Spirit and Truth. Oh.